Welcome to the C3 Church Podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Well, great to be with you. We're going to have a great morning. You may be seated. And uh, last weekend I was just in some of our churches in Sydney. The weekend before I was in Manila. The weekend before I was in Bangkok. The weekend before I was in Hong Kong. The weekend before that LA. Before that Atlanta. Before that Asheville. Before that New York. Before that LA. Before that uh, Ho Chi Minh. No, not Ho Chi Minh. Sorry, uh, Phnom Penh. Before that Sam Rep. The weekend before that here in Sydney. So uh, I've been a few places in recent weeks. Had a wonderful time. Thus far this year, we've seen over 3,000 people give their life to Christ. That's been exciting. I mean, pumped about that. Last year, Real Men spoke to around 39,000 men. Of that, we saw 6,011 men give their life to Christ. How did we get to 11? I have no idea. The guys who do the numbers told me that. But 6,011 sounds good. But the reality is that God is only able to do what you're willing to do. God can't do anything without you. Do you realize that? Oh, no, no, no. God will sovereignly. God moves sovereignly probably in just 3% of his activity. Why? Because he came to us to empower us to touch his world. The Holy Spirit was given to us that we would understand the importance and the value of who we are. You've heard me preach on this a million times. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, which says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? If God didn't want to use you or saw the value in you, he would never have given himself to you. He sees the value and the importance of you. Next weekend, we see the importance and the value of every single man in our church. And again, real men is not a conference to help men. It's to assist men make the right decisions. And I really want to encourage every single man here this morning to make the right decision and come along to that conference. Will it change your life? Yep, it shall. Why? Because I just know God really wants that moment, that period of time to speak to the men of our church. Amen? Well, right now, we're going to actually, I'm going to ask John Amradike to come up here, if you don't mind. John, come up here. One of the great men of our church. Married to an amazing woman, Anne Amradike. And some would say, well, who is Anne? Well, basically, Anne looks after the whole of the money in our church and our organization. The quiet achiever. Anne is one of the people in our church that makes this church hum. Anne is the one who is the steward, the watchdog, the police person who ensures that all is done. And let me tell you, she is an incredible woman in our church and their family. And John is an amazing man. And you know, even on a Sunday... Once a month, part of the deacon team, they head up a deacon's team, correct? A serving team in this church. They head that up. Even though she has a huge responsibility and ensuring all that is done correctly is that she is still serving in this church with her husband and her family and has been for how many years, John? Uh, we've been here 17 years. 17 years. Oh, I'm loving the accent. Where has that accent come from, John? <laughs> South Africa. That's right. <laughs> Let's not talk about the rugby. Let's move right along. You won't want to. I won't. No, we won't at the moment. All the cricket or anything else. But just tell me, like, real men, you've been coming to real men for how many years now? I think since its inception, we've always been, I've always been coming to real men conference. Around 2000. Yeah, okay. That's wow. right. Yeah, it's been now, awesome. you're bringing your sons. Your sons are coming along yeah, as well? Yeah, my two sons, and uh, they're both coming. And uh, that is uh, something that is just awesome uh, to... 
to know that all your children are in the house of God is just an awesome thing. You know, it's just such a satisfying thing. It's something that's, uh, that you can't trade uh, off against anything, you know. It's just such a, such a satisfaction. Often Anne and I just thank God that um, we've got our children in the house of God. That's right. And um, for those that don't, we just plead with you to, to just to get to that point as well where the whole family is in the house of God. It's just so vital. And, and wonderful. I thank Christ for that. Wonderful. Yeah, Very good. And I just want to ask you one question, John. Like, why would you encourage men to come along? You know, why would you say, like, what you've learned over the years, obviously you've heard good things and all the rest of it, but, you know, something which possibly has helped you or something you've observed, why would you encourage men to come along? Um, I'll, I'll, you know, um, I'm in the building industry. I'm uh, involved in air conditioning and the other day I went to Vaucluse where we've got a project running and it was around about lunchtime and I got to the table and there was this wonderful young man uh, sitting at the table and he turned around and he, he passed a derogatory com- comment and uh, I said to him, who are you talking about? And he says, I- I'm, I'm uh, talking about my dad. Uh, I just don't like him. And he says, I- actually, I hate, I-, I hate my dad. And... Um, uh, and that, to me, was just such a shock, you know, because I come out of a family where my dad was just the most incredible father. He was a father that, that uh, I miss him terribly. He died about five years ago. But he always encouraged us. He always loved us. He, he was always supporting us. And uh, above all, he, he just absolutely adored my mum. And um, so my memories of my father were just so fantastic. And when I heard this young man talk like that, and I said to him, why is that? He says, my dad always pushed us aside. He always never wanted to have anything to do with us. And I thought, man, that was just such a sad statement to hear coming out of this young man's life, uh, mouth. And um, I just thought to myself, uh, that shouldn't be, you know, and, and especially in the house of God. We, we are here as, as, as men. And um, I, I remember about three months ago, I was doing, uh, in my quiet times, I was doing a study on Exodus, and I actually underlined a verse, not knowing that I was going to be asked to come up here this morning. And um, the Lord said to Moses, he says, make sure that the men uh, come before me three times a year. Three times a year. That was an instruction from the Lord, that the men are together three times a year. Now, that wasn't without reason. God had a reason. He wanted men to be together, together, that he could minister to them. We've got such incredible ministers in this place. The sad thing about this church is we take things for granted. There is no doubt about it. And that is why I encourage every man in this place to, to, if you're a father, bring your son. And if you're a son and your father doesn't come, encourage him to come because this is going to be an incredible weekend uh, before the Lord and it's, it's what God wants us to do he wants us as men together uh, to serve him as father and son and and coming to a meeting like that that, that is where uh, God underpins certain values into our lives and builds us up it is vital that we do this it, uh, you know men have got to start taking their role in society again and not handing it over to, um, to anybody else to take that responsibility. Hello. Well, I think I might just head home now. I think that's all done. Thank you, John. Let's put our hands together one more time for John. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. 
John is a great husband, a great father, and a great example, you know, of someone, how they're committed to the house of God, able to do life in a busy, uh, a busy lifestyle, busy life, but again, still committed and maintains a strong relationship with Christ, which is what it's all about. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bibles or your iPad or your phone or whatever tool you may use to go to the Word of God, let's go there. I want to speak to you from 1 Corinthians 9.24. It is the verse of Scripture I would use most times when I'm speaking to men. And again, I'll probably use it over this weekend. And we have Pastor Phil will be speaking this uh, coming weekend. Pastor Paul Scanlon, who is probably one of my favorite uh, speakers in regards to addressing the issues of men. So don't miss him. Um, and a number of other speakers as well. But in 1 Corinthians 9.24, reading through to verse 27, it says there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I've loved that verse of Scripture. When Real Men was conceived, when Pastor Phil and I were discussing this back in the 90s, and we launched it in the year 2000 with just a couple of hundred men, and like last year, we spoke to over 39,000 men on the issues in which they are facing in their life. But from that small beginnings, that Scripture was basically birthed in me to see the importance of it. And the things the Lord would always remind me, there is so much in that verse of Scripture. But today I want to talk to you about two things. The first is, in that part of that Scripture, it says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Sometimes to win in life, you have to adjust things. You have to recalibrate your life. Again, you know, we all have the iPhone or we have an Android or whatever tool you use. But again, sometimes it just doesn't work. It loses its position. And when you're trying to work out your location, you have to, with the iPhone, do a wonderful thing, which looks very interesting when you're out in public. You get it and it says, just move it like this. You actually have to create movement to actually recalibrate it so it can again work out exactly where you are to give you the best reception and the best outcome. And I believe that real man is one of those moments in time which we take to recalibrate, reposition, re-again understand my position. What do I need to adjust? And not major adjustments. Sometimes the smallest of things can determine the greatest of outcomes. Real men will adjust small things possibly in your thinking, not that there's something terribly wrong in your world. And real men's conference is not about addressing all the problems. No, it's just awakening and bringing to you a position of awareness again of possibly things you've just forgotten in the busyness of life. We need to again just be reminded of what we need to do. So real men, as this scripture, is helping you run in a way just to recalibrate so that you're correctly positioned. Why? Ultimately, that last part of that scripture says, so that I will not be disqualified from the prize. And let me tell you, the prize in every man's life, every person's life is simply this, that we finish our life well. You know, our statement of our church of love this is best life, your best life. But you know what? The best part of your best life is at the closure, not at the beginning or the middle. But the closure is determined upon the decisions you make 
in the middle of your life. And real men in our conference every year in the middle of this year is there to help men so they can finish this year with an understanding of possibly how to do better to get the right results in their life. So I've loved that verse of scripture. And again, I really want to push that home to you. Life is more about how we finish, not how we start. There's so much emphasis in the business world and the corporate world in life, in lifestyle and skill-related issues about how to start well. That's important, but let me tell you, it's more important how to finish well. At the end of my days, I have just one vision, and my vision is simply this, is that at my funeral, which is not going to be a sad day, possibly a great day for my wife, that, oh, thank the Lord, he's gone. I don't think so. That is not the case. But, you know, it could be like in those moments, and I know some women might think that, but we're trying to help men a change and recalibrate their life so their wives will think differently of that departing day. But in that, the reality is that I want my life to be a great moment of celebration. I would love my wife to stand up, and I'm sure she will. I'm just preempting it right now. I'm sure she will. She'll get up there and say, you know what? Craig, he was a... He was, he was a great husband. No, no, no. He was a great husband. We had our challenges. We had our issues. We had our, our, our highs and our lows and our journey, as all of us do. But still, my husband was a great man. I'd love my children to say, you know what? Dad was, you know, interesting. And, you know, I've got my daughter here and my, my son-in-law and my grandchildren here today. And I haven't even had my nephew, Matt Crocker, one of the great songwriters of Hillsong United here today, part of the family. Sorry. Famous, yes, he's famous. I'm not. I'm just a person up here today speaking the word. But people like that, is, they've come out of families who have actually seen the importance of doing life well, going through challenges and still persevering, still continuing on. But in all of that, I want that day of my family, my wife, my, my children, my daughter, to say, Dad was an interesting dad. He was a great dad. He had his funny little ways, but we always know that Dad believed in us. Dad loved us. My grandkids say, oh, I love Papa. Papa was always fun. He wasn't a boring old fart. He, was a, he loved us. He was fun. He enjoyed life. He wasn't the old boy in the corner whinging about his aches and pains or over there complaining about life, about how the young people. No, he loved us. That's what I want at the end of my life. My best life is my last day on this planet. And is when people come together and say, we're celebrating a man's life because he did everything in his power to actually run his race well. He didn't get it all right, no, but he did his best and he's finished his race well. That's my dream. That's what Pastor Phil's dream is all about, is that men in our churches are in throughout Sydney, around the world, actually finish this life well. Why? Because a lot of men don't. Why? Because they just don't have the opportunity to recalibrate, reposition, and rethink about their future. That's what real men's all about. Amen? So that's what really I'm encouraging every single man to come along. So just over the next 15 minutes or so, I just want to talk to you about, I did an interview like the middle of last year and in Brisbane on a radio show, and they asked me and said, look, Greg, could you come on and talk to us about men and men and, and life, you know, just a few things there. And, and I was thinking, the, the interviewer was telling me about how he was going to couch and how he's going to present it. He said, I really just wanted to present it like, you know, ask you a few questions about issues that men face. And I said, sure, sounds great. He said, 
and possibly not just a whole lot of things that you've read or seen, sorry, through, through research, but possibly through your experiences like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes through the man Solomon, the great king. And he, he wrote in, in uh, I think it is in Proverbs 23, he says, uh, talks about, now I want to expound upon, I want to talk about the things in which I have observed and saw. And the interviewer said, Greg, you would have over, obviously over a period of 15 years in being involved in men's ministry, seen a lot of things. You would have learned a lot of things. And I said, you're right. And I said, you know what? The more I've learned, the more I realize I need to keep learning. And that is probably one of the errors of men's life as they mature. They think the older I am, now I start to, I seem, I, I, I know more. You know more, but then you realize you know less. Because the older you get, the more you see the fractures and the faults in your own personality make up and who you are. Your humanity becomes a reality. So in that place, so he sat down and he said, I just want to ask you some questions. And he ran through a number of them. The very first question he asked me was this. He said, what is the one thing that you see, Greg, uh, that possibly can disqualify a man from finishing well in life? That term you use, what would be the one thing? And I said, pretty simple. And I said, tiredness. He said, what? I said, yeah, tiredness. He said, don't you think, you know, like pornography and, you know, the issues men are facing and all the rest of it. He, he said, don't you think those things? I said, no, they're byproducts. They're outcomes of other areas in a man's life not addressed. And can I tell you, the smallest things can have the greatest impact upon your life. Small things that we don't adjust, don't tweak in our life that we left undone because they're not important. They are important. And he said, just explain more. I said, well, simply this. And I, I, a verse of scripture which always comes to my mind, which I love, and Mark and I, and we're just talking about this just prior to it. But in Deuteronomy 25, it says this, verse 18. And the Lord was saying, when you were weary and worn out, they met you on the journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. This is talking about the Israelites coming out of, uh, of Egypt. And again, that... Those who were vulnerable, those who, who, those who became vulnerable, who are always going to be vulnerable, are those who are lagging behind. And can I tell you today, men lag behind because of a weariness and a tiredness that they no longer have the capacity to say no. Tiredness will wear you down physically and impact your health. We understand that. Tiredness will interfere with your, your mental ability to, to construct and bring order to your world and your mind. Tiredness will, again, cause you to be weary on the inside, to, to be spiritual and seek God and pray and read your word. Tiredness has all of these implications, but one of the most damaging is simply this. When we are emotionally tired, we become emotionally weak. And when we are emotionally weak, we become very vulnerable and an inability, as I've said to you before, an inability when we are challenged and tempted to say, no, we just don't have the strength to say no. Do you know 78% of men today live in a sleep-deprived state? 78%. Literally here today, four-fifths of men pretty much are living their life, carrying on, doing the business, being a father, living in, in, a, in a business world, in a church, in a marriage, tired. 
And that says to me that we have to readdress and bring to men's attention the importance of getting the correct sleep for your life. Well, Pastor Greg, have you got that all under control? I don't think so. Ask my wife. The fact is that, again, life is full and we work hard. There's no question. You need to work hard. doesn't mean you lie in bed for 10 hours. But what I'd ask men concerning this issue and this question is this. And this is the sort of stuff that we talk about at men's conference, guys. We don't normally talk about this in church. When was the last time you heard a message about tiredness? Can anyone recall? It's not that confronting, but it's a position of bringing awareness to you as men that tiredness is possibly your greatest enemy. It could be, be your undoing in life. Tiredness. 78% of men live in a position of weariness constantly because they're tired. When they're confronted, they sometimes want that emotional charge. Tiredness will lead men to a place they should never go. And where may that be? It may be simply at night when they're working late because they've got stuff to do, they just decide to hit that internet and go to a place on the internet which starts to captivate their heart, their mind, their life, and an obsession and addiction which then drags them out of a marriage, out of a family, out of their future. Why? Tiredness. You see, we need to actually adjust a few little things in our life to get the best outcome. Why? For yourself? Yes. No, but those who you love. For your wife, for your children, your grandchildren, and those who surround your world. Tiredness can rob a man and disqualify a man more than anything else. So this gentleman said, so how do we adjust that? I said, very simply, every man should understand how much sleep they need to actually maintain in a healthy position of emotional strength or in a, a position of emotional stability in their life. Well, what is that? Now, you have to work that out. I don't have the answer. You need to know how much sleep. I can survive quite effectively for long periods of time. Six hours will do me quite okay. I can survive quite okay on that. But there is a moment after a couple of months, I just go, boom, I'm out for the count. But then I come back in. But I know my quote, and if I keep pushing beyond that, if I keep going into the five hours, five hours, I know I'm positioning myself and making myself vulnerable. And I travel a lot. I, I'm doing a lot of things. And I know that I need to have an emotional strength to ensure that I am covering myself correctly so that I am not put in a position of compromise. Tiredness can disqualify men more than anything else. The second question in which the, the man asked me was this. He said... We talk a lot about character in men's ministry. What behavior would you say speaks the loudest about a man's character? What would you see would say to you when you met a man, what would be the thing that would say and speak loud and clear to you as a man about his character? I said, very simple, very easy. Punctuality. What? He said, you're throwing some things I wasn't expecting to hear. I said, no, because you see... So often we get stuck on and thinking men's issues are all around these other subjects. But as I've said to you, and, and we'll say a million times, a lot of the outcomes, we talk about the outcomes, the failures and the faults, but we don't address the small areas which just need to be tweaked in our life to get the right outcome to prevent men from failing in their marriages and their families. And I said, punctuality is one. He said, explain more. I said, well, look, punctuality is this, is that, again, if, I, if someone comes in on time, I know that... A person who turns up on time, and I said we're meeting at, at, at 11 o'clock, and, and 11 o'clock comes and they turn up on time, I know that straight away they respect me. 
You see, turning up on time simply says this, I respect you, that's why I'm here on time. And when you don't turn up on time, what do you say? I don't respect you enough. Now let me just, in a loving way, bring to your attention. Church is a funny place, isn't it? Interesting people, wonderful experience, great worship, good word, good God encounters, community, family, oh, amazing. But half of us would miss the second coming (laughs) because we're never here on time. Now, I don't want to do a number count, but I did. Um, that at, I'm sure the service started at 10. Was that right? 10 o'clock. I'm sure it started at 10 o'clock. I'm not sure the auditorium quite looked like this at 10. Now, I'm not pointing the finger because I know things happen in life. I know things happen that time is robbed from us and the unforeseen occurs. I know. But when we get in the habit of habitually being late, of turning up, you just don't say to Pastor Phil and Chris, we don't respect you, or Mark and Bernie, we're the team. We don't talk to the musicians, say, sorry, we don't respect you enough to turn up on time. We know you get here an hour and a half early. You volunteer your time. You're part of the voluntary team. I know you don't say that. No, I know you don't, but you do. And can I say, there's one other person who you've got in the equation. God measures the heart, and God wants to know, do you truly respect him enough to show him the true honor, which we talk about? But let me tell you, character is not spoken about it's shown by action we as men and women and families need to see the importance of gathering and bringing honor to God which we talk about by simply turning up the church on time <laughs> punctuality would be the thing which speaks loud and clear to me as a man and I'm not here to berate you I'm here to encourage you to bring to an awareness not to help you but to assist you for you to make the right decisions correct That's all I'm doing. This is what we do in a real men's conference to help men get recalibrated and positioned correctly so they can finish well. The third thing I was asked was, what relationship and a man's relationships are most neglected that, again, can be the most damaging in his world? What relationship do you think is the one which needs the most attention because it's most neglected? I said, yep, very simple. And he said, well, can I just jump in because, you know, we're seeing a lot of press and and media about, obviously, marriages. And we see so much media on TV about negligence and children and all these things. So, obviously, it's either marriage or relationships between a man and a woman and their children. I said, they're high, I know. But, you know, there is one area which has been neglected, which a lot of men never see. And it's the neglected area of friendship. And again, he goes, what? He said, your answers are throwing me a little bit here because I'm not expecting. He said, I would have thought, I said, I know all of these other areas have been neglected by men over the year because of the busyness of life, etc." But one thing which I think has the most damaging outworking of a man's life is simply that they no longer see the value of friendships in their world. And can I say, you know, friendship today, a man who is without a friend or friends in their life can be people who will suffer possibly some of the greatest outworkings of failure and disaster in their life. Why? Because there wasn't somebody there just to alert them of the danger which was near. 
We need friends. Jeff Cooper and I have known for years, and I've been Jeff's so-called pastor. I think he, he passes me more. He doesn't even realize that from the things he says. But a great friend, you know. I've got many friends. I have great people. Pastor Phil and I will sit down and have a rap about things in life and just talk about stuff. But you go to people that you have established friendships in. Sawney and I will sit back and talk about everything and nothing, and then we'll talk about us. The reality is that we need people that you feel the confidence to share your world with, not just talk about stuff. You know, and in those places, I've worked this out, and I read this scripture many, many years ago, which really alerted this to me. And I've said this, and I've said this through the years at men's conferences, but this scripture highlighted that point so much to me. In John 15, 12 to 15, it says there, my command is this, that love each other as you have loved one another greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you what a great passage I looked at that, oh, it's like friendship is built upon love. Friendship is built upon having this heart connection. No, it's not. Friendship is built upon one thing. Jesus said, I no longer call you friends. Sorry, I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you mates. You know, in Australia, we have an incredible mateship, do we not? Australia is known around the world as this amazing mateship. We have this incredible mate, mate, mate. Hey, mate, mate. Meet my mate. Meet my mate. Hey, there's my mate. Mate, how are you? Hey, Akka, mate. Mate. Love hanging out with my mates. Mates are great. What do mates do? They love hanging around you. They, you love the footy. You love having a beer, hanging out at a barbecue, spending time, chilling, chatting about stuff, the footy, the cricket. Well, sometimes, not always. You talk about great victories and great losses like last Wednesday night. You talk about all of these things. See, the women got that more than the men there in a the moment. Amazing. But we talk about those things, yes, because we're in morning. We don't talk about, don't want to talk about the footy. Don't want to talk about the footy. The women are laughing. <laughs> anyway. But in that week, we like to talk about that and we cheer each other on. And, and you know, the reality is that in our, in our mateship, we, we love to be stirred on. But you know, mates will never say the hard things to you. When Jesus said that to he said, I no longer call you a mate, I call you a friend on what basis? What was the criteria? He said, if you do what I command. And that word is not like, oh, if you think, no, I tell you, you do. Now, what mate has ever told you to do something? You go, yeah, sure, whatever. Now, if I came up to Mark Sornicock, good friend of mine, I can say that. And, and I could say, Mark, look, I've just been noticing the way you're treating your wife. You buy Kerry these amazing presents like a, a, a wonderful hammer and chisel and nails and 4B2 and plasterboard and pots of paint and everything. I've seen amazingly all these incredible things you've bought for Kerry for moments just out of the blue, not for a birthday or Christmas, but you just buy them just because you want to. Isn't that incredible? What a husband. Amazing. But I said, Mark, I've noticed how much Kerry's working. She's working a full-time job. Now, Mark really loves Kerry and works really hard alongside her. So I'm using it as an illustration. This is not true. Don't sort of go, well, Mark, so on the cock. No. Mark loves his wife and he does everything for her. But she's gifted. He's, she's gifted in this area. He is not. 
So that's why I'm using it as an example. But the reality is, Mark's good at making teas and celebrating, putting the music on and get everything organised, while Kerry's in there banging away, putting up the new plaster walls, again, adjusting shelves, doing things. But the reality is, if Mark was sitting down, come on, babe, I've got this stuff, get the job done, what's wrong with you? And I'd go, he said, Frenchie, come around, let's have a couple of beers, let's sit back, let's watch a 40. Come on, babe, get that laundry fixed up. Make sure you get that closet organised in the bedroom. <laughs> I'd go as a mate, good on you, buddy, awesome, awesome, awesome. Wow, look how you treat your wife, that's incredible. That's what some mates do. That's absolute stupidity. But if I want to be a friend of Mark, what do I say? Mark, you're a complete idiot. That woman is the best woman you could have actually ever had, and I don't know how you got her, but the reality is you're married up, point one. Married number two is that in marrying up, that she actually has done more for you in your life, and without her, I don't know if you'd even be a minister today. And Mark, you need to get a good look at yourself. Have a look in the mirror. Don't keep talking about your wife. Have a good look in the mirror. Get, wake up in the morning, get naked, look in there and go, my Lord, I don't look that good. I need to change my shape. Isn't it funny how we make comment about our spouses the whole life, but we don't even bother to look in the mirror ourselves as men? Yeah, look at you, babe. You need to get your act together. No, I think you better have a good look in the mirror. You might have a little bit of a wake-up call on that one, guys. Sorry. But the reality is that as a friend, the best thing I can say to Mark is not, Mark, good on you, mate. That's awesome. I'd say, Mark, you're right out of line. You need to do that. Now, Mark's response might be, I thought we were mates. Mates don't say stuff like that. No, they never do. But friends will. The statement is when you speak, you communicate a message which touches their life, which awakens them. Why? Because I love you enough to say the stuff you don't want to hear. I would have more friends who are now today not either dead nor backslidden if someone, and if back then I'd known to be a friend and not just a mate to say things when possibly they would never have wanted to hear or in a position of hearing, but I would have possibly saved their life. That is a regret of my life. But I refuse to hold back these days because I know my word, my friendship is valuable for their future, our relationship and their world. The fourth thing, come on, let's put our hands together very quickly. Oh, look at the time. Two more, stay with me. You okay? Two more, very quickly. The next thing he asked me was simply this. He says, men today don't seem to have the same strength uh, that we see in our great grandfathers. How do we put the fight back, the strength back in men today? I said simply this, we have to bring to men's attention that again, they actually just have to get the fight and the strength back on one, the basis of one thing, is that keep on keeping on. Proverbs says this, a righteous man may fall several times, but he gets back up again. He gets back up again. He gets back up again. He gets back up again several times. Number one point, a righteous man, not just a man, no, a man who has recalibrated his life does fall at times in his world. But he also understands in which a lot of young men today have adopted this mentality. Three strikes are out. Can I tell you? No. No such thing in the kingdom of God. I admire more of a man who has failed and actually has chosen to get back up in a very difficult time than any other man. I want that grace God gives to me applied in my life from my friends, because my mates will never say that, because when I fail, usually your mates have gone, but your friends are still there. But in that position, I know this. I need 
to actually have a, an adjustment of mind. It's like, you know what? I may fall several times. I'm a righteous man. I'm recalibrating my life, getting my life perfectly positioned, rightfully positioned. But I know I just got to keep getting up irrespective of the challenges that I face. Life is not always kind. Christianity does not promise just the perfect future. No, you better read your Bible. It does promise life in a living, loving relationship and eternity mapped out perfectly for those who love Christ and ask Christ into their life. Perseverance. And the final point, and I finish on this. And he said, let us close with this. He said, men were created to lead Greg, lead a family, lead a community. What area in men's leading needs to be addressed? Marriages, parenting, business, themselves. What area? I said, all of those, again, once again, all correct. But one area that men don't lead that well these days is that they have lost sight of the importance of their ability to lead others to Christ. Do you know in church today, women are more likely to lead someone to church, bring someone to church three times more than a man. Women are more likely to lead someone to the knowledge of Christ, bringing them to Christ, bringing to that salvation experience four times more likely than men. Can I tell you what we need to learn to lead again, men, is lead from the front and begin to lead others to the knowledge of Christ. Today, we have relied so much upon the strength of women and thank God for the women. I've said this when I go to churches. You just show me the men of your church and I'll tell you the future of your church. You show me. If I can see the strength, if I can see the leadership, if I can see the perseverance, if I can see, again, men who turn up on time, if I can see men who may be busy in life but are wise enough and smart enough to go, you know what? Enough's enough. I need to give myself rest time to get back in a healthy position. When I see those men in the church, I go, that church has a future. When I see a man in his family in those positions addressing those issues, I see they have a great future. They have a great family. Things can be overcome because that man sees and understands the value of him and the importance of him. But he makes the adjustment to his world. And in closing, I say this. Men, we need to learn to lead in our family correctly, lovingly. Not in a, in a way which dictates or, or again manipulates. No, we lovingly lead in our marriages. We lovingly lead our family and our grandchildren. We lovingly lead in relationships beyond the church. We lovingly lead others in the church again. Why? Because I would ask every man this question at the end of the day, at every conference. Is your life worthwhile following? Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Podcast. Visit us online at myc3church.net. Join us next time for more great teaching.